welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. If you've got your Bibles with you, we will be in James chapter 1 this morning. James chapter 1. Well, I asked one of our, I got insulted this morning as I was getting ready to, to start services. I asked one of our young people to introduce me to their friend, not as the pastor, but as the cool pastor. And they looked at me like I was crazy. And that bothers me because I used to be cool. True story. I really did. I, I really did used to be cool. But something happened. I started getting older. I started getting some gray hair. Um, I, I got married. I've got a mortgage. I got a kid. And every one of those things takes your cool factor down a little bit. It's like your credit score. You don't know what's going down until one day you look at it and go, oh my goodness, I'm not cool anymore. Here was that moment for me. Is uh, About a year and a half ago, I was sitting on my back porch. I was drinking a milkshake through a straw that came from one of my daughter's sippy cups. So, you know, this is a good Friday night if that's what you got going. And I was on Amazon searching for grass seed that grows in the shade. And it hit me. as like, this is not the me 16-year-old me promised me I would never be. Like, this is horrible. And ever since that moment, ever since that moment, things, things have continued to get worse with my cool factor. Uh, another time it hit me, I, my wife and I got in bed. We were getting covered up. We're getting ready to go to sleep. And she rolls over to me and said, can I have some of your Tums? And so I reached out onto my nightstand and I got my Tums. And I realized we have his and her Tums in our bed because we're in our 30s and food is trying to kill us. Here's what hit me recently. There are no less than 100 stuffed animals in my house. I know their names. I talk to them. For, for example, this, this right here, this is one of my daughter's favorite stuffed animals. This is Brownie. Everybody say, hi, Brownie. <laughs> I can't believe y'all did that. You're not cool either. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Uh, this is Brownie, and I don't know if you guys believe this, but this dog barks. Uh, true story. And if you don't believe me, you can come to my house about 10 minutes after bedtime, and you can sit in my living room, and you'll hear from my daughter's room. <laughs> And so what we have to do is we have to do the parent voice. You know, we think it's super cute because she's just so adorable. But we have to do the, the, the parent voice and we're like, Oakley, quit barking. And here's what she'll do every single time. She'll say, it's not me. It's Brownie. Now, I think I'm going to win this argument with logic. I think I'm going to have it figured out. So I try to out-logic my daughter at this moment. I'm like, okay, well, if, if Brownie is going to bark all night, he has to go outside with the other dogs who bark all night. He can't stay inside. Inside dogs don't bark. And that's you can't out-logic a three-year-old because they change the rules. Because then she'll say, but Brownie's not real. Then why is he barking? You know, th this dog is not real. It, it has some characteristics of being real. It has, it has some ears, got a cute little tail. It's fluffy. And with just a little bit of effort from a three-year-old, it can have the characteristics of a real dog. This dog routinely licks me. Welcome to my life. And, and it come to my attention this week as I was studying through the book of James and getting ready for this is sometimes that's what our faith is. Our faith is something that has some characteristics of being real. With just a little bit of effort, we can make it appear to be real and have the actions of being real, but it's still very much a fake faith. And so that's what we're going to pick up today. If you're just joining us, we've... We've been in the book of James, and we're in this series called Challenging Flatlined Faith. And James has a vendetta against fake faith. <coughs> 
he's going to argue for surrender to Jesus. And he's going to argue in this book that, that our lives should change. Not just should our actions change, but who we are should change if we truly belong to Christ. That, that something will be different in us. And last week we talked about how that applies to how we handle hardship. How, how do we endure losing someone? How do we endure sickness? How do we endure suffering? And what James told us is if you were in Christ, you endured in a different way than someone who doesn't know him. This week, James is going to turn and, and he's going to give us a, a, um, a picture of a genuine heart change. And he's going to provide a picture of both a true faith and a flatlined faith. He's going to provide for us a picture of what he calls pure and undefiled religion. What it means to really be a follower of Christ. And he's going to provide for us a picture of what he calls vain or useless faith. So if you've got your Bibles, let's read for just a second. We're going to pick up with the last couple of verses we read last week. And we're going to go from verse 19 through 21. James speaking here, he says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Somewhere in here there's a lady saying, I got out of that one. Man means man and woman. You're all in this. Be slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, let aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come back to this. So last week, James begins with what I would call these, these tools for humility, like this way that we approach the world. When we go out into the world as a believer, he says you should be slow to speak, swift to hear, and slow to wrath. And that's, that's a difficult thing for most of us to do. Now, he's going to continue, and he's going to give us some pictures of what it looks like to be a real follower of Christ, to have a real, true, living, vibrant faith versus a fake faith. Or as he calls it, a useless religion. Uh, the first thing he talks about here is that we have the opportunity to live in filthiness in the overflow of wickedness. And I know that you're good church people. Like I, I know that you love God. But if we're just being honest, we love wickedness and filthiness. It comes natural to us when we're born. That is why it is so hard to follow Christ with all of your heart. Because there's something in us that goes, ah, I don't want to do that. I'd rather do the dirty things first. And we don't call it dirty. We, we kind of excuse it away. And because it is so natural for us to live in wickedness, for us to live in filthiness, all it takes is a quick Google search and you can find 100,000 people that will back up your opinion that your sin is not that bad. If it feels that good, it must be good. If it comes that naturally, maybe you were designed to do it that way. But what James is going to say is if you truly want to follow Christ, that filthiness, that overflow of wickedness, you have to get rid of those. And, and here's what I love about the Bible as I've grown. Sin is not a list of do not do's. That's the way we teach it a lot of times, right? Like, hey, here's the list. Don't do these things. Come to church. You're in good shape. But if you truly study the Bible and you study sin... God is trying to protect us from the consequences of those actions. Sin is a brokenness to the beauty of the way that God created the earth. And what he is telling us is that because that is broken, that will harm you, that has consequences, stay away from it. So James makes the argument is to lay those things aside. And then that word in the Greek, lay aside, has to do with, uh, has this imagery of like taking off or cat. I know God loves us, but this weather is trying to kill us. Let me, let me try that again. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm doing the best I can. Um, 
that Greek word for lay aside has, to, has this imagery of taking off or casting away dirty clothes. So it's, it's the same concept of like if you, if you uh, are getting ready for church in the morning and you get your cup of coffee because this is Arkansas and everybody has to drink coffee and you spill it on yourself, what do you do? You have a choice. I can keep on this soiled, dirty garment or I can take it off. I can throw it in the dirty clothes. I can reject that for something that is clean. And, and what James is arguing for us is that we should be casting away this filthiness, this wickedness, and exchanging it for a clean lifestyle. And here's how he describes that clean lifestyle. He says, you should receive with meekness the implanted word. You should receive with meekness. So here we are again. What does the Bible do? The Bible is not concerned with just your actions. The Bible is concerned with your heart posture. What is within your heart? Is your heart open to receiving instruction from God? I'm a, I'm a bit of a nerd, another thing I'm not cool in. And I've been going back through the old Marvel movies that I love so much. And Iron Man in one of these, he's a, he's a narcissist. He's always coming up with these funny things. And, and he goes through this stage, and I don't know where it came from, but Robert Downey Jr., every time somebody tries to hand him something, he stands like this and goes, I don't like to be handed things. And sometimes, don't we open the Word of God like that? Like, okay, I'm going to read the Bible because it's what I'm supposed to do, but I, I'm not going to receive anything. See, when we want to receive something, we hold out our hands and we say, give it to me. I'm ready to take it from you. And so James is saying here, receive the implanted word, receive what God has for you with a heart posture that says, I want to change. I, I want to be changed. And then he goes on to say that what we're receiving is the implanted word. Now, this is interesting because we know the word of God is the Bible, but James is writing this before the New Testament is completed. And so the implanted word, yes, it does mean scripture, but the implanted word also means this, is that when you are saved, when you truly become one of his, God begins to write on your heart the law. He begins to write on your heart right and wrong. In Jeremiah 31, to my knowledge, it is the first place where the words new covenant are mentioned. And that's a, a forerunner. That's, that's um, Jeremiah delivering a message from God that is about Jesus and how his blood will be the new covenant. That we will live, sin for, or we will live um, free of our sins because of what Jesus does on the cross. And in that, he says, in this day, I will write my word on their hearts. See, this is what the Holy Spirit will do. When you are saved and the Holy Spirit enters in you, the Holy Spirit will not allow you to stay the same. If you have been a Christian and you have been saved for 30 or 40 years and you've not changed since that point and there's been no pull to change, there's been no, no uncomfort with who you are, you really need to take some time and ask yourself, is my faith real? Do I really know who Jesus Christ is? Because God is not okay with you and me staying who we are. We're in this constant position of change as as he works on us and he works in us, the Holy Spirit will do that. So our job, if we want to take this to an application from what James is saying, our job is to be teachable. As a matter of fact, that's your first take home truth, is that true faith makes us teachable. True faith makes us teachable. I heard a story one time of a teacher who was frustrated with their students' inability to, uh, to follow directions, to follow instructions. And so this teacher devised a plan to teach them the lesson about how valuable it is to be able to, to um, follow instructions. And this teacher gave them a test, and this test was like five pages long, and it had all kinds of questions and things that were just out of their students' reach. And they did this in the directions they wrote. 
read these directions, write your name on the top of the test, and turn it on. And the teacher passed out these tests and said, okay, here you go. Make sure that you read the directions before you continue with the test. And so there were a lot of students who did read the test. They, they read the directions and said, write your name on this test and turn it in and you will receive an A. And they did that. And yet there were a lot of students there that because they could not listen, they struggled through trying to figure out the answers to all these questions that were really above them. See, there, there is a value in being teachable. There's a value in following directions. And so this, this heart that James is talking about is a heart that receives with meekness and humility God's instruction. And I said this last week, and, and I just want to be clear, like we're, we're real about things here at Ramsey Heights. What God wants you to do and what you want to do very rarely start out as the same thing. Very often you will have a course of action plan. You, you know you want to do something. There's something that you desire. And then God will come by and say, nope, that's not my plan for you. Or no, you can't live that way. Or, or no, that will harm you. And mine and your job is not to change the will of God. It's to change our will to match the will of God. And so James is going to continue here talking about how we engage the word of God. See, it is so important with what we're doing here is that when we open God's word, we open it with a heart that says, I want this to change me. I hope with everything that I have that when you come to Ramsey Heights and we open our, our Bible, that, that this is a time not where you listen to a sermon and you go going, I like that. That was good. That was encouraging. I hope you leave here going, I've got some things to change about me because that's what this does. This changes who we are and what we do. I'd say it's the same thing with our personal study. And if you do not have a personal study time, I'd encourage you, you need daily contact with the Word of God. That can look like anything you want to. I personally, if you've been here on a Wednesday night, I personally soap. 10 to 20 verses a day, and I just write down, and I'll go through a process of figuring out what God is saying to me and how it applies to change me. But it might not look like that for you, and that's okay. You might wake up and do it in the morning. I can't do that. I'm not a Christian until 10 a.m. Like, it's not, like, I'm not going to do it when I wake up. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that, but it's true. Ask my wife. You might do it before you go to bed. I also can't do that because I go to sleep. Like, when I'm ready to sleep, it's like sleep. I, I know people that have the Word of God on audio, and they listen to it on their way to work. Whatever it looks like for you, whatever works for you, you need to engage the Word of God and engage it with a heart that, I, that it changes me and that I want it to change me. This is why we begin with prayer before this portion of the message. This is why we begin with prayer before we worship and study because we want to take some time and dedicate our hearts. Okay, God, I'm stressed out. It's been a week, but I am here and I just, wanna, I just want to hear what you have to say to me and what do I ask you to pray every week? That God would open your heart and that he would change you, and that you commit to that. So as we talk about this, James is going to give us some examples of a difference between somebody who takes the word of God and applies it and someone who doesn't. If you've got your Bibles, read with me verses 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come back to that. 
So James now talks about the difference in believers. And I, I want to be clear, this is a belief, it doesn't say this, but I think that James is talking about two categories of honest, true believers. Two categories of people who are actually saved, that are within the church, yet have different paths. The first category he's going to talk about is those who hear the word and do not do the word. And then those who hear the word and then do what the word calls them to do. So when we, when we contact the word and we're convicted by it, what do we do? We change. Your second take home truth is true faith changes our actions. True faith changes our actions. So as James looks at these categories, this hearer-only category, James envisions, and he was a pastor, so I think he saw within his church, he sees people, he sees people who will open their Bibles, they will go to church, they will sit in small groups, they're familiar with the Word of God, but they come in contact with the Word of God, and it never changes them. They hear the Word. They probably even agree with the word. They may be the people sitting in the back yelling amen, but it do, they don't apply it. Have you ever seen this in church? Have you ever seen people who seem to have a, a commitment to coming in contact with the word, but it never seems to have any effect on them? I heard a saying when I was younger, and I'm going to hold it for the rest of my life, is there's a lot of people that are Sunday saints, Monday ain'ts. Like we're going to act like we're somebody at church, but when we go into the world, we're going to act just like we've never been to church. Have you ever been in a church service with somebody who has been a Christian for a long time, but you're around them and you're like, that's not the kind of Christian I want to be because they're hateful and they're angry and they're attacking all the time? Or, or, or people, people who are Sunday pretenders and they say things like, well, we can't say those things in front of church people. Or don't, don't let your Sunday school teacher know that we do this at our house because that's kind of our secret. James says that that's not what we're called to be. And James is going to give this example of a mirror. You guys ever wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and just go, oh gosh, like that's not what I was expecting. Only me? Okay. You guys are all better looking than me. Congratulations. Like, come on. Like, you wake up and you look in the mirror and you've been sleeping on your head and your hair sticking straight up this way. Uh oh, here's a good one. You ever go through your entire day and look in the mirror when you get home and part of your breakfast is stuck in the front of your teeth and nobody loved you enough to tell you about it? That's a horrible feeling, right? I, I have this problem. I put my shirt on backwards sometimes. I don't know how I make it anywhere else. So what James is going to say is that being a hearer only of the word is like somebody who looks in the mirror and they see these problems. Food in my teeth, hair sticking up, uh, shirt on backwards, makeup not fixed right. And then they just walk away from the mirror and goes, I'll do something about it later. Because the word of God is a mirror that gives us a clear picture of who we really are. It will shine on our imperfections. If you spend time in the word of God, it will tell you, you are dating the wrong person. If you study the Word of God, it'll say you did not handle that situation right, or you need to get with some other friends, or you need to be back in church. The Word of God will give you a clear picture of yourself and the things that you probably don't want to know about yourself. And I'll be honest with you, it is uncomfortable. There's really two categories of people. If you, if you study the Word, there's two categories of people. Some of you may be holy enough that you can study the Word and it never makes you uncomfortable because you're just that holy. I personally am not one of those people. When I study the word, and I think this is probably it for most of us, and we truly go in and it shines a light on us, it makes it very hard on us. 
because the word tells us that our actions are not enough. It reveals that there's some things that need to change. And to ignore it would be ignorant. So what James says is don't be like a person who looks in the mirror and sees, you know, their morning breath and their hair messed up and their shirt on backwards and then walks away. Be the kind of person that looks in the mirror identifies the changes and lets that inform you on where to change. He's going to say, be doers as well. These are people who hear the commands of God. We're confronted with something and then we change based on that as well. We seek to learn, but then we take that learning and we apply it. See, true faith applies the word of God. Fake word, fake faith hears and ignores the word of God. So this morning I was thinking, like, sometimes that's difficult. And I'm a very simple person. I like, like A, B, C kind of processes for things. So I was thinking, like, how does, how does the word of God, how can I commit and change to actually be the kind of person that reads the word of God and allows it to change me? This will be your third take-home truth. Here's a process for you to go through. How can you be intentional about your faith? Point A is allow the Bible to identify needed changes. We have to be willing to let the Bible call us out. Sometimes we go towards the Word of God with a calloused heart and say, well, I don't, I don't really want to change today, so I'm just going to kind of read my chapter for the day because that's what I feel like I should do. But I don't go there with a heart and a prayer of, God, would you please change me? Would you please reveal to me where I'm wrong? Several years ago, I worked with an individual and this just kind of rocked my socks off. And, and um, we were talking about prayer, and he said, every day I, I get here to school and I, I pray. And uh, the prayer that he said he prayed is, God, would you reveal to me where I have failed you so that I can repent of it? And that scared me to death. Because I'm really comfortable with, hey, God, would you just forgive my sins, all the ones I don't know about? Can you take care of those and let's forget about them? But, but this guy was so in love with God and had so much trust in God. He's like, God, would you, would you show me where I'm broken? And that's hard because we live in a society that says your value is based upon what you do and how good you are at what you do. But this society does not accurately represent the word of God. See, here's what Jesus promised you. If you read this Bible, one of the things that you can apply to yourself is that Christ loves you deeply. And he doesn't love you because you're good. No, he loves you in spite of the fact that you're horrible. He loved you when you rejected him. He loves those. We see people out in the world. He loves those who have nothing to do with him. And it's not based upon what we do. So we can go to God, our Savior. We, we can talk to him and say, God, I can be content and comfortable in the fact that you love me. And within that cocoon of love, I can be okay with being called out. I can be okay with my shortcomings and my weaknesses revealed to me. So the first thing we have to do is we have to be willing to allow the Bible to identify the needed changes. Point B on your take-home truths is we have to make a plan to change. You get in the Word of God and you get convicted by something and you close your Bible and go on about your day, you probably have not changed anything. So you have to ask yourself after you read the Word of God, what does this change about me? How does this apply to me? I'll tell you guys, my personal study right now, I'm going through the book of Jeremiah. It's like 55 chapters, and I'm going through it 10 to 20 verses at a time. And you get into that, and it's like, God, how does this apply to me? This is you talking to people 4,000 years ago. How does that apply to me? And here's what I've come to understand, is that it applies to me because I have to learn who God is. And I have to be comfortable with who he is, whether he seems scary or whether his love doesn't make sense to me. And so we have to come up with an application 
So let's just say that we were convicted today, that we read the Bible and we were convicted by the, by the verse that we have to love our enemies. We look in the mirror and we realize those people, and they probably deserved it, but I was being nasty to them. So how do I change that? I make a plan. Okay, you know, here's what I can do to love my enemies. I can begin to pray for them. I just pray they have a good day, even though I really don't want them to, but I'll pray for it anyway. And then as that happens, I can begin to pray for their success in their job. I can begin to pray for their relationships. I can begin to pray for their brokenness and their hurt. And then at that point, I can make the commitment and say, okay, if I want to love my enemies and I've been praying for them, now I can take those negative feelings that I have, but I have to find a way to praise them in public and verbally think of good things about them. Listen, that, that actually works. That's the Brian's way of loving your enemies. Like you can make a plan to do what God calls you to do and stick with it, which is our next thing. Point C is that we have to commit to the plan and act. What is today? February 17th, is that right? Anybody still on that beginning of the year diet? Yeah, not a single hand in here, right? New Year's resolutions, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to read my Bible every day. Not a one of us did it. Why? Because we made plans, but we didn't commit to it no matter what. So if we're going to make a plan, we have to be willing to commit to it and be willing to carry it out. And let me tell you, your greatest tool to committing to a plan is the people sitting in this room. These people are your brothers and sisters. Remember the old saying, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family? Welcome to Ramsey Heights. Sorry, this is who you're stuck with. Like, these people are your greatest tool. There are people in here who love God, and they love you because they love God, and they want to help you walk along your journey with Him. And so I'd encourage you, find somebody that you're comfortable with and ask them to be your accountability partner. And just tell them, I struggle with anger and bitterness and I need somebody to call me out when I start venting that out. Uh, I, I can tell you guys that um, modern day, that, that our deacons here, that's that group for me. I'll go to them and I'll say, hey, I need you guys to hold me accountable for this because I, I don't want to be a pastor who leads this way. Can you, can you call me out? And they're so faithful and loving and doing that. And what you'll find is that sounds really hard at the beginning and it sounds really awkward, but what you'll find is that you and that person will grow together as you love each other and you call each other out and you guide each other towards a closeness with God. <clears throat> so I hope that this is your process Sunday, that we come here, we interact with the Word of God and we make a plan and we commit to act on that plan. I hope it's your process when you go through your personal study. We come with a heart saying, God, change me. And here's why you would do this. Here's why you would do this. In verse 22, and I'm going to be honest with you, this made me uncomfortable because I didn't know what to do with this verse. I've read James a bunch of times. I've never understood. Verse 22 says, if you do this, those who do this, those who are hearers and doers of the word will be blessed. Now listen, there is a favor of God that is yours just because you exist. It has nothing to do with you, but it has to do with how good God is. We call that grace. There is nothing you will ever do that will make you any more or less loved by God. And when you sin, he has a rightful hatred of that sin so much so that he took that sin and he put it on his own son so that you could stand before him blameless and spotless. That is how much God loves you. But the Bible also promises us that there are sometimes blessings as rewards for our actions. And I don't pretend to understand this, but here's what I can tell you. The Word of God says it, and I believe it, and I believe to be blessed by God is a good thing. I don't know how it works. I don't know even how to make that an example you can understand. I believe it's a good thing. 
And here's the kicker. If there is a blessing for being a hearer and a doer of the word, and you sit in this room and all you are is a hearer of the word, you're missing the good thing that God has planned for you. I don't know what that is. I can't make you a promise. I can't say it's going to fix all of your problems. All I know is the word of God says that he will bless you in that. And that if we miss that, that we miss the blessing that goes with it. Now, James is going to take these two categories of hearers and doers, and he's going to give them two categories of results. The hearers only, he's going to say, are those who have a useless religion. The hearers and doers, he refers to this as pure and undefiled religion. If you've got your Bible still open, read with me verses 26 through 27. It says, if anyone among you thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Well, come on, James, you could have held back a little bit there. Wow. 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, we need to, we need to break a cultural norm here because we, we've started to do this thing in church and, and I agree with the heart behind it, but it can be a little bit confusing. We'll say things like, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Or, or we'll say Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And those things are both absolutely true. I hope that you are a spiritual person, not a religious person. I hope that you have a relationship with Christ and not just a religion. But religion is the effect of those things. So to define religion is simply the ceremonial public worship, the things that we do based on our spirituality, the things that we do based on our relationship with Christ. That is what our religion is. And James foresees, and maybe saw in his church already, public worship as a religious practice only. People who are doing things in the public eye but are doing them for the wrong reason. So he, he foresees people being church members, but their heart not being right. People singing, but, but not singing for the right reason. Serving and praying, and yet their heart not right with Christ. And he says, this is useless. And he's going to use an example. I don't believe it's the only example, but it is a example. He's going to use the example of people who don't bridle their tongue. Now, I grew up wanting to be a cowboy. Never made it. Here's what I know about horses, is that if you sit on top of them and you pull the little ropey thingies, it either restricts where they're going or guides them in the right path. And we call that a bridle, am I right? Okay. So that, that's, when we talk about bridling our tongue, what James is talking about is people who have the ability to restrain what they say and guide what they say in a correct direction. The bigger point here, James is talking about being a doer versus a hearer only. So there's people that have been taught, keep your tongue to yourself, be careful what you say, be careful how you say things, and they haven't chose those actions. But the precise point... But the precise point is that to be a believer of God, one of the biggest visible signs of a heart change is the way that we speak changes. What, what did James say earlier? He said, be slow to speak. Be, be slow to speak in what you say. And that's going to be a picture or something that gives us a picture of a change within. So take home truth number four is my words are a gauge of the authenticity of my faith. I don't know, I may be the only one of us. Some of us in here are in trouble if that's true. If what I say, what comes out of my mouth is a gauge of the authenticity of my faith, I'm not nearly as spiritual as I think I am. Because I know me. And you may be in the same boat with me. 
See, if we don't bridle our mouth, it reveals a heart problem. Matthew 15, 18, Jesus saying, he says, but these things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. So Jesus is saying that what's coming out of your mouth is, is a reflection of what's in your heart. And we're coming here claiming my heart has been changed by Jesus. So if you're a deacon in a church, but you verbally abuse your wife, James will say your religion is useless. If you're teaching at church, but you spend your week... <coughs> Um, with profanity laced in your speech, James would say your religion is useless. If you pray with a passion, but yet you gossip as soon as you're done, James would say your religion is useless. What he's revealing is that we can go through the actions without an internal change. Now, the opposite of that is true as well, is that if we've noted that someone is changing, even slow, we're all in a process here, changing how they speak and they're restraining themselves and they're restricting themselves, that that is a proof of a change as well. And I'll be honest with you, I'd really like to camp here because I think that this, and I think it's the reason James picked it, I think that this, maybe more than a lot of things, is what a lot of believers need to hear, is that our mouth is a reflection of our heart, and our heart may be dirty if our mouth is too. But we're going to move on because James is going to come back and camp on this in chapter 3, so we'll be back to that in the future. But the point being is that the context of this is that there is a mirror and it shows that religious actions, religious actions don't necessarily mean that a heart has changed. And we can have useless actions. Now he's going to compare this to this useless religion where you're not seeing a change in a heart to what he calls pure and undefiled religion, a picture of a changed heart. And this comes from verse 27. And he gives us two things. He says, pure religion is those that visit the orphans and the widows and it keep, keep themselves unspotted from the world. So visit orphans and widows and keep yourself unspotted from the world. We can break that down into two different categories. It's what you do and what you don't do. Here's where we failed as a church. Here's where I failed as a pastor. We spend a lot of time opening the word of God going very shallow. And we only talk about the things that you shouldn't be doing. But the word of God is full of things that you should be doing the things that you should be chasing the things that you should be doing to follow him so here's the two examples that james uses he says one go visit the orphans and the widows be with them help them now orphans and widows are mentioned multiple times in the scripture but i want to be clear the titles orphan and widow do not make that a special group of people they are a special group of people that hold these titles, if that makes sense. What he's saying is he represents a class of people. Orphans were homeless and they were lost and they were poor. Widows, especially in the ancient world, had nothing to offer. And so what, what the Bible is saying here, what James is saying is that will you serve the people who have nothing to give? Will you serve the people who have no social value, who can't thank you, they can't pay you? Will you serve just for the purpose of serving? Or do you only serve only serve those who serve you back. See, it's easy. It's easy to serve the person that makes us feel good, isn't it? You did something for me, I'll do something for you. I love you so much, we're so close, I'll do something for you. It's hard to serve the people who have nothing to offer. But see, when your heart changes, when Christ begins to work in your heart, your values change. Values change from being a person who only sees value in people if they can give me something to a heart that has a, a picture of Christ and it says, I see value in what God sees value in. And listen, you will never look into the eyes of somebody in this world that is not precious to Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what they've done. Somewhere there is a, a death row inmate waiting on their execution. That person is so valuable to Jesus or to God that he sent his son Jesus for that person. 
Salvation's not withheld from them. God gladly accepts them into heaven because he values them. That has nothing to offer him. The same heart change is evident in what we don't do when the Bible says keeping yourself unstained from the world. It's not talking about getting dirty on the earth. It's talking about the natural influences of the sinful world all around us. All of these things that we see, what normally attracts us as people when Christ begins to change our heart should start to repel us. You guys watch a lot of TV? Oh, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It is so hard to find something with just even the basic, basic moral values. And I'll be honest with you, there was a time that didn't bother me. Didn't care what was on the screen. I didn't care what language was used. Didn't bother me at all. I'll watch it all. Because I've grown closer to God. I hear them say something, I don't like that. Or you have to hit fast forward real quick because something's on the screen that shouldn't be there. What, as you grow in Christ, what used to, what used to appeal to you now repels you. So your last take home truth today is who I serve and what I avoid are gauges of the authenticity of my faith. Because the truth, listen, the truth of being changed is not being changed to make God happy. It's being changed to have more of the heart of Jesus. If our musicians want to start to come up here. See, Jesus was fully man in every way. He went through every temptation. The Bible tells us that Satan tempted him. That he stood up to that temptation that though he could have fallen, he rejected those things. And he went through this life without ever being spotted by this world. For one purpose and one purpose only, to die on a cross. And who did he die for? People who could do nothing for him. I don't care how special you are. I don't care how much you think you do. I don't care how much you serve in a church. You're doing nothing for God compared to what he did for you. And yet he served you and loved you anyway. Jesus hanging on the cross, surrounded by people who cheered and mocked him and laughed at his death. You know what he said? He said a prayer for them. He said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. These are people that would never do a single thing for the kingdom of God, and yet Jesus still loved them. And Jesus loves you in that way. I think the word is challenging us this morning. Has our heart really been changed into the image of Jesus Christ? Have we really become more like him? Or do we just have a useless religion? And you may be here and you may say, Brian, I got baptized when I was young. I've been in church for a long time, but I never actually got it right. I don't know Jesus. We can handle that today. That baptistry is still warm. I'll dive into it with you. Come talk to me. But you may be like me. You may be a true believer. And the word may be challenging you that you need to go all in. You need to live for him. Whatever the case is, don't leave here the same as you walked in. Today, be a doer and not a hearer only of the word. Let's stand and worship together. Thank you for joining us this week at Ramsey Heights. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And if you did, feel free to share it with others. If we can help you begin to follow Jesus or grow in your relationship with Him, join us on Sundays or connect with us on social media or our website, ramseyheightsfamily.online.